This is Archive Atlanta, episode 122, Georgia Flag. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. This week, we are tackling a topic that has been on my list forever. I've been overwhelmed at the thought of doing it. I had like six research papers printed out to read and I just put it aside and put it aside and put it aside. But uh, I took my vacation time to kind of tackle the papers, get a sense of the story. And so this week we're talking about the Georgia state flag. If you weren't aware, our state flag had up until 2004, the Confederate battle flag incorporated in it. You know the one. So today we're going to cover the earliest origins of our state flag, what it looked like, who designed it, but also the origin of the battle flag, how it became a hate symbol, and what in the world was going on when Georgia legislators decided to debut this new design in 1956. I think you'll be surprised and shocked and intrigued by this whole story. I know I was. To start off, we have no record of who made the first Georgia state flag or what it could have looked like. It most likely came from a local militia. The province of Georgia, which was the British colony that would become our state, began with its own dedicated militia organized by James Oglethorpe. Now, I talked about African-American militias in episode 109, but the general history of militias started very soon after the founding of the United States. While the army was created in 1775 to fight the British, it was really small, and so there was a need to have local militias in each state that the president could call upon when needed. And the Georgia militia existed from 1733, which really the founding of the colony, up until 1879. And they served early on as a buffer between the Spanish in Florida and the British colonies to the north. These militias had weapons, uniforms, and flags, usually sewn by a member's wife. Each militia's flag was different, but they all had the 1799 Georgia seal on it. Up until the start of the Civil War in 1861, we do not have an official state flag, but several sources have found mention of succession flags that were a solid background with a single star in the center. So there's examples of a blue one with a white star in the center and then a red star that was on a solid white background. In 1861, the state legislator passed a new law requiring that the government of Georgia supply regimental flags to all of the local militia who would be fighting outside the state. Of course, they're fighting outside of the state because the Civil War started that year. And the Civil War, in case you didn't know, is when the southern states split into their own country, the Confederate States of America. And when all the delegates met as a provisional government in Montgomery, Alabama, they had a committee that was appointed to propose a new flag and a new seal. There were three different national flags of the Confederacy over its lifetime. The first was called Stars and Bars, and it had three stripes, red, white, and red, with a blue square in the upper left-hand corner, and inside that square was a circle of white stars. The first flag had seven stars, as in the seven states of the Confederacy, and then as more states joined, it got all the way up to 13. Now, if this sounds similar to the United States flag, it wasn't wasn't really accidental. So there was kind of two camps, one camp that believed it should be completely different and then one camp that wanted to have a similar flag on purpose for you know, whatever reason. The issue arose during the first major Civil War battle at Bull Run when everyone realized that it's really hard to tell these two sides apart, especially in battle. And it was Confederate generals P.T.G. Beauregard and Joseph Johnston who asked for the battle flag. 
And here is where we see the first iterations of the Confederate flag that we all think about today, which is really called the Rebel Flag or the Southern Cross. So before we keep going, here's where it gets confusing. The battle flag is the, you know, Dukes of Hazard battle flag that everybody's familiar with. A lot of people call that the Stars and Bars, and that is not correct. So the Stars and Bars was the first flag of the Confederacy, like I said, and it was the red, white, blue with, I'm sorry, the red, white, red with the blue square in the corner. William Portia Miles was chair of the Committee of the Flag and Seal in the Confederate Provisional Congress, and he designed this battle flag, which he wanted to be the official flag of the Confederacy, but it was not adopted back then. So when these two generals came around looking for a distinguishable battle flag that they could fly, he suggested his own design. The St. Andrew's Cross, which is also called a saltire, if I said that right, was used by the Scottish in the 16th century. It was used by Russia and Ireland during the 18th century. It was also a Christian symbol. And if you listen to my Scottish Atlanta episode, you can understand why so many Southerners that had these connections to Scotland would have been very familiar with the symbol. Because it was a battle flag, they made it square. It was 48 inches for the infantry, 36 inches for artillery, and 30 inches for cavalry. It was never actually officially authorized by the Confederate government, but it became very popular nonetheless. In 1863, the Confederacy adopted its second national flag, which was solid white with the St. Andrew's Cross in the upper left-hand corner. So this is the first time that we see the Miles battle flag um, is put into the Confederate States of America flag. This designed flag was draped over Stonewall Jackson's coffin, so it's often called the Jackson flag. Now, there was also issues with this one, too, mainly that an almost all-white flag looked way too much like the flag of surrender. So in 1865, the third flag of the Confederacy made its debut, called the Modified Stainless Banner. This was basically the existing design, so the white with the St. Andrew's cross, but they put a red vertical stripe on the right side of the flag. Now, we all know the Confederacy did not exist past 1865, but we don't really know what the flag was from then until 1879. So it is believed um, was still unofficial state flag, but we have records of it being a blue background with the state seal in the center. In 1879, the Georgia General Assembly recommended an official state flag. Senator Herman H. Perry, who was a former Confederate colonel from Waynesboro, Georgia, introduced legislation with a design that he took from the Stars and Bars flag, removed one bar, and extended the blue square. On October 17th of that year, Governor Alfred Colquitt approved it, and we have our first official Georgia state flag. And so keep in mind that even this flag was influenced and taken from the first flag of the Confederate States of America. And this would be the flag for just over 20 years until about 1902. In that year, we have another state reorganization of militia laws, and so this new flag amendment says that the blue rectangle um, in the corner must have the state coat of arms. We don't know exactly what this flag looked like, as there are no copies that exist. But by 1904, that coat of arms changed slightly. And this is a quirky part of all this history, but basically all the flags produced with this seal law never really looked the way they were supposed to. So they were kind of like unauthorized flags. It's very weird. And the coat of arms looks a little different um, in each one. And then eventually, without any legislation, there appeared a red ribbon saying Georgia under the seal at the bottom of the flag. In 1914, there was another law that changed the year at the bottom of the state seal from 1799 to 1776, obviously citing the year the United States was created. So we continue to have this flag, very similar to the one in 1879, until the 1950s. 
But before we get to the 50s, let's go back to the Confederate battle flag for a minute. What may surprise you is that flags from the Civil War were not flown once the war was over, with the exception of very specific events like Confederate commemorations, reenactments, or veteran parades. Most memorial groups like the United Daughters of the Confederacy or the Sons of the Confederacy thought that the flag should not be displayed frivolously, and it was not a common day-to-day life occurrence. Around World War II is when we start to see it emerge as a symbol of the White South, So Southern soldiers and sailors um, stationed across the world started flying the Confederate battle flag, and it started to pop up in Southern college football games. The real change, though, came in 1948, with the formation of the state's rights Democratic Party, a.k.a. the Dixiecrats. Quick primer here, after President Truman integrated the military and acted sympathetic to civil rights for Black Southerners, there was a faction of the Democratic Party that broke away and maintained their support for states' rights and racial segregation. These Dixiecrats, as they were called, then chose the Confederate battle flag as their symbol, and it first appeared at their convention in Birmingham, Alabama. By 1950, leading Atlanta flag dealer James Kelly said that the sales of the battle flag after April 1st of that year had surpassed the previous three years combined. In 1951, the battle flag was raised over the Capitol in D.C., which sparked a whole controversy. They quickly outlawed that there. Um, But we really just started to see it get into the mainstream, so to speak. Then in 1954, we have the Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court decision. The decision that says separate but equal schooling was not working, and all states in the U.S. would need to integrate their schools. I have talked about how Atlanta dealt with this, which was not well, pushing integration here until 1961 with full desegregation in 1965. But when this decision was announced, Southern leaders collectively lost their minds. Georgia governors Herman Talmadge and later Marvin Griffin threatened to close the schools rather than integrate, and the entire 1956 legislative session was dedicated to setting a private school plan into motion. That was kind of how they were going to get around it. They also passed laws that pushed segregation and the most absurd things you could even imagine. There was a law they were trying to pass that would remove the pension for any police officer who did not uphold segregation ordinances. In 1955, John Salmon's Bell former assistant attorney general for the state of Georgia, later an appeals court judge, an ardent segregationist. He was also the attorney for the Association County Commissioners of Georgia. This was an organization that started in 1914 for all of the county commissioners in the state. So the county unit system is honestly, it's its own episode, Um, but it was a political machine at this time that really gave power to the rural parts of the state. So at their 41st annual convention, Bell introduced a new flag design which he described as, quote, new, more colorful, and more attractive flag, end quote, which also happened to incorporate the battle flag's St. Andrew's Cross. On February 1st, 1956, Senate Bill 98, proposing this new flag design with the battle flag emblem taking up the entire right side of the rectangle, was introduced by Senators Jefferson Lee Davis from Cartersville and Willis Hardin from Commerce. It went to the Committee of Defense and Veterans Affairs and later passed the Senate 41 to 3, In the House, it went to the Committee on Historical Research, and it later passed 107 to 32, with 66 abstentions. There are no records of discussions or debates, and in later years, there were two reasons given for this new design. The first was that it was going to commemorate the Civil War centennial, which, by the way, was five years away. And then the second thing was, oh, we wanted to pay tribute uh, to Confederate veterans. Lieutenant Governor Ernest Vandeveer said it was, quote, meant to be a memorial to the bravery, fortitude, and courage of the men who fought and died on the battlefield for the Confederacy, end quote. 
and floor leader Denmark Groover said that the old flag never really had meaning for him, and that this new one would, quote, replace those meaningless stripes with something that has deep meaning in the hearts of all true Southerners. Georgia will not forget the teachings of Lee and Stonewall Jackson, and that this will show that we in Georgia intend to uphold what we stood for, will stand for, and will fight for. Anything we in Georgia can do to preserve the memory of the Confederacy is a step forward, end quote. Governor Marvin Griffin says, quote, there will be no mixing of the race in public schools and college classrooms as long as I am governor, end quote. And that the rest of the nation is, quote, looking to Georgia for the lead in segregation, end quote. There is a lot more, but I have a time limit. But I could be here all day giving you these quotes. And the most interesting part of this debate is that all of the Confederate memorial groups are opposed to this. So the UDC, the United Daughters of the Confederacy, um, are anti-putting this on the flag. The Ladies Memorial Association are really strongly against it. And even the John B. Gordon camp of Sons of Confederate Veterans opposed this as well. It was signed into law on February 13th, 1956, taking effect the following July. In the next decade, the battle flag became more and more prominent. George Wallace raised it over the Montgomery Capitol dome to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the Civil War. Um, South Carolina raised it over their capital in 1962. It was just popping up all over, especially the South. It was Janet Merritt, the first white female member of the Georgia House of Representatives, who would bring up changing the flag in 1969. She sponsored a bill to change the flag back to the 1879 version, which did not include battle flag reference. After a rousing speech on the House floor from Governor Marvin Griffin, who strongly opposed this change, the bill was tabled and later reintroduced in 1971 when it was defeated. In 1987, white supremacists in Forsyth County, waving the battle flag, pelted protesters with rocks and weapons. I can't remember exactly what it was. So a few months after that, Frank Redding, who was a Democrat from Decatur, proposed changes to the state flag. At this time in history, the MAACP had sued Mississippi over their state flag, as well as started economic boycotts in South Carolina. So Georgia and Alabama knew what might be headed their way, but instead it was actually quiet until 1992. In that year, Governor Zell Miller, most likely in anticipation of the 1994 Super Bowl and the 1996 Summer Olympics, announced that he would sponsor legislation to change the flag. The January 1993 legislative session started with his more formal announcement, and quickly Miller realized he did not have enough votes of support. Legislators against the change were protesting, and on February 9th, 101 out of 180 House of Representative members supported a bill that discontinued funding for local governments not displaying the state flag on state property. They also tried to throw in a second bill, making it a crime to deface Confederate monuments. Thankfully, both of those died in the Senate. Now, the Sons of Confederate Veterans did use this whole drama to gain new members. They had 10,000 people prior to 1991, and they went up to 15,000 at the height of the flag debate. There was a lawsuit filed in the 90s by James Coleman, who was a black man, against the state of Georgia. And interestingly, it was a black judge, her name was Arinda Evans, that deemed the case failed to show discriminatory impact. Basically, his legal rights had not been infringed upon personally, I mean, I think the lawsuit was going to be hard to, to figure out. So when this case didn't work, activists had to refocus on lobbying the Georgia General Assembly. In 1999, Governor Roy Barnes entered office, and new polls showed that the number of people wanting to keep the flag had been trending downward from 62% to 49%. When Atlanta lost the bid to host the NCAA Final Four tournament in 2001, Barnes knew that something had to be done. 
So the 2001 legislative session kicks off with HB 16, a new state flag designed by Cecil Alexander that is a solid blue background, the state seal in the center, and on the bottom is a banner with all of the former flags. Alexander was a Jewish architect in Atlanta, and he had designed this new flag way back in 1993. Initially, it had the seal in the center with six former flag designs along the bottom. When he met with Barnes about his design, the governor was really interested, but he suggested some small changes, only five flags, and then adding the words, Georgia's history. From everything I read, this stunned everyone. There had been no discussions, no public announcements. It was all very backroom negotiations. HB 16 was initially presented as a return to the pre-1965 flag, not a new flag design, and Barnes orchestrated a way to swap that in before opposition could catch on. There was only one addition um, in the committee to add In God We Trust to the bottom, that was accepted, and then the flag was voted on. A few important things to note. So in order to garner support for this flag, there was a lot of concessions, a lot of handshakes, and one of them was adding legislation that protects Confederate monuments on public property. And that is something that we are seeing the repercussions of today. It also helped that Denmark Groover, the 1956 floor leader that I mentioned earlier, publicly admitted that the federal government's integration mandate was the impetus behind this 1956 flag. It passed the chamber by the majority needed. All 34 black state representatives voted for it and 16 Republicans from metro areas. The 26 Democrats who voted against it were from rural areas. The full Senate voted one week later and it was approved 34 to 22. The following day, Roy Barnes signed the bill into law and the new flag was raised over the Capitol. And lots of people lost their minds. A bunch of legislators received white envelopes with rubber snakes inside, uh, with a note saying, quote, this flag won't fly, end quote. The Confederate veterans groups protested, which seems ironic, considering they were against the adoption of the battle flag in 1956. Roy Barnes did not win re-election. My friend Bill Nowicki has an amazing podcast called Marietta Stories, and he interviewed Barnes way back in 2018 and asked him about this. So I put a link in the show notes to that episode if you want to listen and get more details from his perspective. In 2003, Sonny Perdue entered office in a stunning victory that most attribute to his stance on the flag issue. So he campaigns with the promise that Georgians should be able to vote on their state flag, although cleverly, he never said which flag design. In February, House Bill 380 was introduced, which said there would be a statewide referendum where voters could decide whether they wanted to keep that Barnes flag, as it was then called. And if the majority um, didn't want it, then they could select either the pre-1956 flag or the 1956 with the battle flag. By April, the bill was amended and the choice became simply to replace the Barnes flag with a new design that looked mainly like the pre-1956 flag. There is a lot, a lot of political drama here. If you live during this time in Atlanta, you know it very well. Um, I'm not going to get into all the details about it. But at the end of the day, in a statewide referendum held in March of 2004, 73% of Georgia voters chose this new design over the Barnes flag. So there you have it, the story of Georgia's state flag. I know it's hard to describe these via the podcast, so I've put images on social media where you can see each flag iteration that I talked about today. Keep in mind that our current design is still based on the first flag of the Confederacy, so I don't think that our state flag discussion is over. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and a review. You can visit the patreon.com link in the show notes to support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.